0: Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben and welcome to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast, Australia's first barbecue podcast. This is the second episode in a series of 10 that I like to call Comp Ready, where I interview experts in all areas of competition barbecue to help you be comp ready. In this episode, I'm chatting with Billy Gibney, the owner of Meat at Billy's, a butcher shop, now two, based in Brisbane, Queensland. Billy has become the go-to guy for competition barbecue cuts and I personally have competed using Billy's meat and have found it to be far superior to others I've used. He's dedicated himself to studying the cuts of meat used in competition barbecue and in bringing only the best product to market. In this conversation, Billy teaches us all about competition cuts, including where to get the best, how to choose the best and some butcher's tricks for how to best cook them. Check it out.
1: This is the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with barbecue pit master, Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession?
0: Alrighty, thank you for joining me in the uh, confessional today, Billy. Um, so how are you and what was the last thing that you barbecued?
2: Well, well thank you. firstly say thanks for having us and appreciate it. Um, it's an honour. But uh, believe it or not, I just came from work to do this and um, I actually have some pork butts and some beef short ribs in my um. Brad Hill at the moment as we speak. So just finished wrapping, so I'll let one of the boys take care of the rest.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, I'm so, pretty, pretty constant on it. So it's going to be a nice dinner at your place tonight, then.
2: Yeah, it's actually a it's actually a uh, favour for a family friend who got a catering thing to do tomorrow night. So, but I did cater that a little bit extra. So yeah, that will be dinner tonight, I think.
0: <laughs> Very <laughs>
2: so nice. My I need it first, of course.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, it's uh, first in, first served a bit, isn't it? Yeah, and there's it's always a bit like that. There's always that bit that accidentally falls off on the ground. and
2: uh, Yeah, that's right.
0: Yep. Yep. Fair enough. All right. Well, um, Meat at Billy's has become uh, synonymous in Queensland with top quality competition cuts. So my question is, of all the different cuts and styles of meats that a butcher could sell, why barbecue? And when I say barbecue, I mean low and slow.
2: Um, I guess it's been a it's almost it's changed a lot over the last few years. We've seen a massive trend of people sort of getting into it. And I think it all started, I mean, these barbecue teams, that's where I was introduced, they just sort of have opened up the world of American barbecue. I think people realize is they were so scared of it or thought it was too much or you had to have, you know, a chef background to get into it, but I think. Making it so public with all these competitions and events has really brought people forward and encouraged people to try it, you know, start based on your basic sort of kettle. And then if you really get into it, you can work yourself into buying an offset. And, yeah, people realize that it's fun. You can drink beer while you do it. And it's, it's quite social overall.
0: It is, isn't it? It's the, uh, yeah. It's the second sport that you can play with a beer in one hand.
2: So, exactly
0: uh, the lawn bowls is that the first one? Lawn bowls is the first one yep 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 that's yeah, uh, yep. that's an old joke about lawn bowls. I've heard that for a couple of years but now we've got barbecue yeah, as well nice. so yeah
2: that's <laughs> fantastic.
0: <laughs> awesome. So about barbecue itself have you always been into barbecue? what's your what's your earliest barbecue memory?
2: I think that the earliest was when I was approached by the Brisbane Barbecue Mafia, who a lot of people probably know quite well now from their catering. Uh, they approached me looking for a sponsor uh, to go into this competition. And I, I mean, I'd eaten at uh, Smoke or Blue Smoke in the new farm. I always loved American food, but that was pretty limited on what you could get in Brisbane probably three or four years ago. Yep. Um, they approached me and sort of, they told me what they're about and I met Drew and think. And I really like what they were doing, so I thought, yeah, I, I can see this This is going to be great. So I um, got them to do a demo out the front of my shop and they got there at like 4 in the morning and they, they cooked all morning. And, they, and when they came time to, to serve, the crowd of people we had was just unbelievable. And I was lucky enough to get some ribs and a bit of brisket and that on the best meat Best have ever had.
0: All oh, right. right. It sort of went from there, really. Yeah, mm. it's funny how uh, yeah. it, it's funny how uh, people will start just turning up once the smoke starts rolling. Even if oh yeah, and as
2: you know, when you've got a couple of smokers going, the, the smell that comes lost down Waterworks Road—it was just incredible. There's people coming from everywhere, and yeah, it was um, it was really good, and it sort of made me appreciate how you can take a secondary cup like a brisket or a piece of pork shoulder and turn it into the eating quality of a fillet with so much more flavour.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Um, You've told me in the past that your best barbecue memory was when you rolled up to 2015's Blues and Barbecue Festival in Port Macquarie. So for the listeners out there, could you set the scene and tell us what that was like?
2: Yeah, well, that was, I thought, being a sponsor, I thought I'll do the right thing and go support these boys on their first competition. And I remember I had no idea what I was in for. I remember going down to Port Macquarie, we drove all day, got there late Friday night. I got up early Saturday morning, I said to my wife, I said, I'm just going to shoot down and see the boys and, you know, give them a coffee and see how they're travelling. And I remember walking down to this caravan park on the beach at Port Macquarie and my jaw dropped. I just saw this 50-plus chimney stacks with smoke coming out, the most beautiful smell, and I, I just could not believe it. And I thought, everyone here is cooking mead. This is a butcher's dream. You could not <laughs> believe it. Captain <kept laughs> It was. I was blown away. And, yes, from that, it's just sort of gone leaps and bounds for us with the connection and network that we've sort of made.
0: Oh, fantastic. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So being a butcher gives you a um, a deep insight into meat naturally. So does that insight yes. then give you an advantage in cooking barbecue? So are you a good barbecue cook yourself?
2: Look, I, I I learned like everybody else, nobody's perfect. I think everybody starts a little rough, but I've been very blessed to have the guidance of some very good barbecues with, like I said, the connections I've made. Um, it's, it's trial and error. Uh, I saw some pretty good meat, um, but I don't, I'm i not one of these guys that keeps the best for themselves. I'd rather give the best to someone who's going to appreciate it. Um, sure. But, yeah, I, overall, I've, yeah, I've, I'm forever on the hunt for new producers doing new things and, you know, everything from brisket right through to, you know, independent pork farming, which is what I, I deal with directly now. So I'm always looking for high ethics and quality product throughout.
0: Yeah, right. Okay. Um, so do you have a, a specialty that you love to cook and cook well? Like what's the best thing that you cook?
2: Oh, look, I'd have to – beef short ribs. They're Cape Grim ox short ribs. Um, sure I love them, yeah. Out there know what I'm talking about. They're just a beautiful three-rib plate rib. They're well marbled for a pure grass-fed cattle that you've got marbling like Wagyu, and they're, they're easy. You can sort of
1: – don't have to
2: be dating on it. You know, all day. they are going to get them done in six hours and they're just sensational. They've got the yeah. best flavor.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think beef ribs are my favorite thing to cook too. Yeah, yes. that's uh,
2: the one I put new, new customers straight onto when they come in and they've just bought a smoker. I always play to beef short ribs. It's the best way to introduce you, I reckon.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, my final question for segment number one then is uh, what barbecue do you personally use?
2: <clears throat> um, I'm lucky enough to have a. Sweet sixteen inch Radar Hill, um, which is I bought uh, in the beginning when I met Rob from Radar Hill. He sort of looked after me, and since then I've um, I use that for bigger events if we've got you know a group of ten plus people coming over. But I've recently I had a weather kettle which sort of died on me, and about three or four weeks ago in council clean up, I found one on the side of the road. So I did a U turn, almost caused a car accident. I'm pretty sure because <laughs> uh, I had this beautiful black Weber kettle. It's probably 15 years old, sitting there. I've fallen in love with that. I've been cooking on it every night since. It's just, it's a great thing just to have at home when you're in a hurry. It's cooking over charcoal. You can still use your woods and everything from steak through to like a roast chicken. Just sensational. So they're my two go tos. I'd say
0: beautiful. Yeah, I've actually got um, three Weber kettles myself that I uh, I picked up all three. Um, for a grand total of $75. So, uh, and I uh, just popped some not-true uh, uh, thermometers from, um, yeah. from Radar Hill in them, and, uh, yeah, they're, they're good to go. Yeah. So so versatile.
2: Yeah, I know. You just think people just leave them on the side of the road. They're crazy.
1: You're listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with barbecue pitmaster Ben Arnott.
0: So how long have you been a butcher, Billy? Is it a family business?
2: Um, I've been a butcher. No, not a family business. I started this on my own uh, back in 2009. I started my apprenticeship uh, back when I was 15. I, I got a clean-up job when I was 13 after school in a butcher shop. A mate got me a job, and uh, towards the end of uh, my secondary college, Era. I spent more time at work than I did go to school I, um get a job and I was lucky enough the shop I worked in I was, uh, gave me offered me an apprenticeship so at the age of 15 I started my apprenticeship and yeah I was qualified by 19. So yeah and then I went out and worked for various people and um, yeah at, when I was 25 I just finished managing a shop for someone and thought this is the time I want to go out and give it a go on my own and yeah the, the rest is history.
0: That's awesome mate, that's so good. Uh, so, um were you always a specialty barbecue butcher, or was this something that you got into comparatively recently?
2: No, I dare say, like I said the when I met the mafia boys when I really fell in love with the barbecue scene and grew a passion for it, as did a lot of my staff. but before that when to start when I started my own business i I used to spend a lot of time going to Melbourne, and I saw their food scene down there and Brisbane just didn't have it, but you know my passion was to start a business where People came and wanted good, ethical, quality meat. They wanted they didn't mind paying a little bit more. They wanted good service and they wanted something consistent week in, week out, you know, and it, it just didn't seem to exist. So I, I jumped into it wholeheartedly and just my passion was I wanted to be the best. I wanted to sell the best and, yeah, just get it, you know, try and revolutionize butchering as it had died off dramatically in Brisbane. So it's, yeah, it's been a, been a good ride, but yeah, I'm, I'm loving it, and it's good to see people. My passion is shared by my customers as well, which just makes what I do so much better.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. It's um, it's great to see uh, sort of trends spreading uh, up up north, up here into Brisbane. The um, you know, people often joke that Queensland is 20 years behind the rest of the country, so it's uh, it's fantastic to see you know people like yourself seeing something in your travels and going, oh, we should have that at home. And uh, yes. and then and then bringing that back home and uh, and making it work here. So um, yeah. big big debt of gratitude to you for that one.
2: Oh, thank you very much.
0: <laughs> so um, why become a specialised low and slow cut butcher? What what drew you to this style? Like in, in, in terms of the actual cuts of meat is like you know.
2: Yeah. Um, look, it's something I've progressed with <clears throat> over the years. I mean, like I said, I've learned so much off. Relationships I've built with barbecue teams, as well as every every day low and slow people that come through the shop. You know, like eight, two years ago, I wouldn't, I didn't even know what a St. Louis rib was, and it was something that I still don't think there's many butchers in Brisbane who'll do them. So I went out of my way to, I took a trip to the abattoir, I spoke to my pork producers, and we created a, a boning spec, is what we call it, to produce St. Louis ribs. So I've progressed with it. One, because I, I, I love the food, I love the scene, I love the people, and two, I just see it as a huge point of difference for me in a market where you're limited to what you can buy. I want it to be the guy who gets what people want, and that's mm. sort of where I've seen, I've learned as I've gone, and yeah, I, I just keep going forward with it. It's great.
0: Awesome. So I just want to pick up on something that, that you just said uh, a little bit before. Did you say boning spec or bone? in spec and what does it mean?
2: owning spec. So a boning spec, basically, when you go to an abattoir, whether, they, whether it be beef, or lamb, if they're breaking carcasses down, they run off a sheet which is a, a spec sheet, so required by the customer to how they break a pig or how they break a lamb. So we went through and altered the way they broke a pork belly to create a product that I could then trim back further to create some blue ribs because a pork belly is such a high-demand uh, product Australia wide in our food scene, with all your restaurants wanting it, no one was really willing to sacrifice a whole pork belly to make a rib. But I found uh, uh, somebody that would if uh, I bought the right amount, and yeah, came up with a solution.
0: That's awesome. I had no idea that there was uh, such a thing as a boning spectre. That's that's fascinating.
2: Oh, there's yeah, there's a there a million things I could tell you about how it all works. From you know, from the paddock to plate, it's the expression. Is used quite a lot these days. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm still, like I said, learning. I'm, I'm spending a lot of time with farmers where I can at the moment just to learn more about, you know, different breeds and different diets just to create you know, a better product.
0: Right. Right. Okay. So, what what research did you have to do to become uh, at, at, as knowledgeable as you are in low and slow cuts? Did you go to the States and tour the States or did you hit up? No. I, How did you? Uh, how, how did you find out about it all? Oh, probably good old Google. The internet
2: sort of helps a lot. And like I said, I mean, uh, the Barfi Boys just got back from a trip to the US, which I'm hoping, fingers crossed, I'll go do with them next year. Um but yeah, I've just just networking and spending time with you know people who have share the same passion. And yeah, internet's quite powerful for, for learning everything off. I think if every if you can go into and Google one thing, and you've got a hundred different answers. So you just sort of collate it and, and work it out yourself
0: yeah it's a it's incredible we live in a in a time unprecedented with the access to information that we have now it's just uh it blows my mind if i just sit down and have a proper think about it it's it's just incredible
2: yeah yeah it's a powerful thing
0: yeah yeah um so I'd, i remember having a conversation with a brazilian guy a little while ago and he told me that he had found it really hard to get brazilian cuts in australia because they're so different and i'd I never thought much about it, but then a few days later, I was in a butcher shop, and I saw posters for Argentinian cuts, and so I I realised that okay, this is a real thing. You know, cuts are all different in different countries. So, um, for people that are new to low and slow, how are low and slow cuts typically different to Australian cuts?
2: Um, Okay, so touching on the Argentinian style, like the two most common are your asada beef ribs, which is your beef short ribs, as I'm sure you can all visualise. But if you're Instead of cutting them with the rib, you run through the saw into thin strips, um, which are then done over on a grill over charcoal. I think probably the South Americans are probably the kings of charcoal cooking. They've done it forever. And the other most common cut that you'll see is the picanha, which is the rump cap. Um, the other problem we've had with that here in Australia is it is all highly exported because it's the rump caps are delicacy in a lot of countries now, uh, cooked on charcoal as well. So those, those two, there are some various cuts, but that's just comes with research, I suppose. And same with what you've seen. The, the brisket is a good example of the low and slow scene. For years up to, well, probably five years ago, a butcher would take a brisket off his body of beef and he'd throw it in his sausages. Yeah. You know, I'm sure there's some gasps gaffs out there right now when I say that, but without that knowledge or that influence we've had, you know, we've taken a piece, as I said earlier, a piece of brisket, which was a secondary cut, tough, you know, unedible unless you braise it or cook it for ten or twelve hours. And the low and slow barbecues really brought in that scene of the flavour of it. And like I said, it can if you cook it right, it has a texture of eye filler. It's, it's an incredible piece to me.
3: Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's been a lot of that. Um, as you know, I mean, and as with any business, there's supply and demand, and as the demand changes. The, the the businesses change, but yeah, I, I remember what you're saying um, about brisket, and uh, the other one that comes to mind is lamb shanks. Lamb shanks used to be sort of yes. you'd, you'd pay two bucks a kilo for for dog bones sort of thing, you know, and uh, yeah, and now they're they're like a, a delicacy. They're highly sought after, and they're attracting premium dollars. So it's uh, Yeah, correct. You're
2: right. They're more expensive than a leg of lamb, actually. Yeah, yeah. because like every every niche cut they find, there's only two on every. On every uh, carcass, so as demand goes up, price goes up. So it is frustrating, but unfortunately, that's just the way of the world.
0: That's the way of all businesses, mate. It's the way of all business: supply and demand. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. So, which cuts then? Because you you supply um a lot of the competition teams in southeast Queensland. Which cuts yes. are the most common with teams, and more importantly, the winning teams?
2: Oh, well, there's there's a there's a few. I'm sworn to oath here, mate. There's a few things I can't tell <laughs> you. Uh, I'm pretty. I keep a pretty tight lid on a few different cuts for certain teams, just because they have that's their little point advantage point to everybody else. Fair uh, enough. Totally understand so, that. I mean, generally, I think with the ABA rules changing, that they, they you could enter any beef into category now. They're going to specialise a brisket and a like a rib category. <clears throat> so obviously sourcing the best briskets. Um, a lot of the guys like the heavy. You know eight to nine school wagyu briskets which we can which are available with us um as far as pork we do a all our uh, pigs are fed on pecan nuts our farmer feeds them which creates this unique sort of oily gelatinous fat which is really fantastic for low and slow because it renders it a lower temp and it creates a really juicy product oh, wow. um yeah as far as st louis ribs is another one um we've uh, your, your standard USA loin rib, at a different way for some of them. With a little bit more meat. Um, yeah, there's a. Like I said, a, I can't say too much or I'll, I'll be in trouble with a few people. Here. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of different. They all have their own little signature, and I, I, yeah, I'm respectful of that and keep it separate.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, that's interesting about the um, about the the new ABA categories. I think that's going to be. Uh... Very interesting at at, at competitions. Uh, one yes. thing one thing that I always liked being a budget conscious competitor was that in in the category of beef, I could put in a cheaper cut versus say a brisket. Whereas yes. um, now, if I want to go to a competition that had a brisket category, I'm going to have to going to have to cook a brisket. So that's going to make yeah. uh, make the scene a lot different um, coming up in 2017, I think. But uh, you know, change is good. I, I do think that it's a it's a very good idea. It's a positive way forward. And, um, you know, if it doesn't work, they can always change it back. So, yeah, it's yeah. it's going to be cool. It's going to be very cool. I,
2: I do admire that. One thing I do admire, though, like you just said, is I, I like to see the creativity of people when it comes to these competitions. So I think it's good if they have that chef's choice category, which I'm not sure if all of them do, but having that, A little bit point of difference. It makes it fun for judges. It makes it fun for the teams. And it's good to see people do things differently, low and slow. That's what I get impressed by.
0: Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, I think this year, I don't think Chef's Choice was counting to Grand Champions, uh, just from the research I was doing. But I think next year it is included. I'll need to double check that. Yeah. Um, All righty, so you've mentioned uh, St. Louis ribs and um, cutting them with a little bit of extra meat, which I love to hear because uh, pork ribs are quite controversial in Australia, particularly after the rib gate that resulted after a certain TV cooking game show last year. Mm. So what makes a good rack of pork ribs and what should the listeners be on the lookout for?
2: Look, I think quality of pork is, is you know, that is your foundation for anything low and slow is making sure you've got a good butcher Sourcing good product. Like, obviously, you're looking for female pork, not male. Um, there's a thing called pork taint, which creates like a quite a pungent odor, offensive odor, I should say, when cooking. So you're always looking for female pork. It's, it's, um, perfect for just everyday cooking as well as for barbecue, especially. Um, as far as, yeah, specialty cuts of ribs, like I said, you've got a St. Louis, a baby back, um, there's, depending, you want some meat on your ribs. Uh, the problem with that is it has become short supply in Australia because ribs is another thing that's on every every single restaurant menu these days. So, yeah, it is hard to it, to bone that many pigs to keep up with the demand. So you're buying them direct from a producer, um, and they usually don't leave much on them. So it's yeah, it's finding the right the right connections to create the perfect rib, I think.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I find um, a lot of the ribs that are readily available, you get meat between the ribs, uh, yeah. but, but you don't really get any meat on top. And uh, no. yeah. it makes them a bit tricky to cook. It's very easy to turn them into boot leather.
2: Yeah, correct. Well, as, as you can sort of tell, if they to leave the meat on top of the rib, if you can visualize finding a whole middle of pork to get that USA rib, they're sacrificing a key muscle group out of the rest of the loin, which is traditionally what they roll for a pork loin or keep for a whole pork belly so it all comes down to supply and demand and who pays the most and unfortunately the pork belly is the highest demand at the moment so the ribs are always going to be a little bit towards the lean side unfortunately.
0: Yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah and and it's, it's like we said before it all comes down to supply and demand doesn't it?
2: It does indeed.
0: Yeah. Now you mentioned before... Um, whole pork bellies and having to sacrifice bits of pork belly to get ribs. Um, for the people that are not in Brisbane uh, and yes. need to try and talk to their butcher and try and get their butcher to cut things the way they want them, um, how do they? How would you recommend they approach their butcher to do that, uh, to get the pork ribs they want? Because, I mean, nobody likes to be told how to do their jobs, do they? So no, how, how would you recommend no. they, they diplomatically approach their local butcher about this?
2: Look, I think if they've got a good relationship with their butcher, well, the first thing I want to ask for is a, is a rind off, so skin off, bone in pork belly, <coughs> a whole one. And from that, um, you can, I guess if you explain to your butcher about taking the top, top layer of fat off and following the seam <coughs> to create a square belly rib it, with a little bit of, yeah, if you were to be that simple about it, your butcher would figure that out. Um, I'd actually think we need. To, I'm looking into doing it myself. Is posting some YouTube videos on how it's done. So whether you go and show your butcher a video, which there are ones out there, like American videos out there, on how to how Saint Louis is done. So that would be something else you could show your butcher. But it comes down to yeah, if you've got a, a butcher who wants to keep his community happy, I'm sure he'd be happy to do it for you. It's just I don't. I'd be scared to know how much each butcher's going to charge you per kilo. That's that'd be the scary bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. I um, I I did find a butcher down here on the on the Gold Coast who would do it for me. Um, yes. the catch was I had to buy the entire um, bone-in pork belly. Yes. So yes. I, it was it was not possible to just buy the ribs. Yes. Um, so that was, I think, the most expensive dinner we've had in a long, long time. But the good thing it was, t- I- it tastes better though. It did. It did. I, I got some nice, um, some nice big, uh, meaty ribs out of it, um, yeah. and then I had a whole lot of meat left over in the in in the freezer for you know, different stews and things as well. So it all worked yeah. out in the end. Um, but uh, yeah, I had to answer to the uh, to the boss when I got home as to why I'd spent so much. <laughs>
2: Just blame your local butcher. We we take it all the time. It's always our fault. That's fine. <laughs> uh,
0: no, it's just I, I I just bring that up though just so that people are aware that if they do um, ask for a bone in uh, a bone in pork belly, odds are they will be expected to buy the entire bone in pork belly. Yes. So yes,
2: that, that, that's what like I said. It, you know, I don't know what it will cost you, but I, I really hope that there are more butchers out there, Australia wide, who are sort of coming on board with this scene because you know it's great to have that point of difference for me, but. I'm also passionate about the industry of low and slow. So I'd love to see some more butchers getting on board and following these cuts and, and going that extra mile to keep these barbecuers happy because, you know, it, it helps our businesses continue to grow and it's you know, it builds a great reputation for any butcher out there that's listening. This is a, a great market for you to build relationships and really network and take your business to another level.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all righty. So moving on to brisket then, what are some keys to picking a good brisket when they're in the butcher shop there?
2: I think another thing is, yeah, doing a research on the brands, like I said about the pork earlier, like finding a good brand. Like we've got, you know, there's grain-fed, grass-fed, there's wagyu briskets, you know. You want you want to look for a, a brisket, and this is where all my boys barbecue, like all my staff are nuts about it, so we've, also very lucky for our customers that we we know good briskets, like we can all go in the room and we'll pick through and go, Yeah, no good, good, no good, good. Like if you look for the flats where the you know the point that's the flat you don't you want it, you don't want a shallow divot there. You want a high yielding flat because that means you're gonna get a more consistent cook and a better brisket. Um well trimmed as well, like not over trimmed but decal fat removed. Um which is something your butcher will know if you say that you want all the decal fat removed, removing it like a lot of the excess uh, tissue that where the point sits on top. That's also a pinnacle to, to get that removed before you put it on a smoker. So yeah, there is certain things to look for, but you want something a high yielding brisket. So something with that, a that lot, of, lot of meat, <clears throat> quite large in size. You know, you want to be over between five and seven kilos for a decent sized brisket. Anything smaller than that, you're probably going to be disappointed with how much you get out
0: of it. Okay, Dougie. Mm, I think yeah. it helps. Yeah, absolutely, it does. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, I've noticed um when I've been travelling around butcher shops and that that um the only briskets I've seen are pre-packaged. They're all vacuum sealed. Is that um the standard way? Like, does anybody sell fresh briskets?
2: Um, Yes, they do, but this this is a really good question and uh, there's a lot to learn from this. I think the biggest thing you want to know is that beef, as you're all well aware, it's been all over the media, beef is at the highest price it's ever been, you know, on the Australian Eastern Cattle Index. It's ridiculous. So what's happening is now butchers are going away from the traditional breaking beef there because the labour costs are too high and the beef is too expensive. So you're better off getting it done at the abattoir. To a spec, as I spoke about earlier, the boning specs. Oh yes. The problem, yep. The problem is, if you were to break beef in your shop, a five to seven kilo brisket would be coming off a cow that probably weighs about three hundred and fifty to four hundred kilos. So, from a butcher's perspective, that's a huge to break that into four pieces and try and cart it in your shop and break it down and and the trimming and everything and to do one body would give you two briskets. It's very, very time-consuming, whereas, you know, with technology and the way these abattoirs and their, the way their chain works, you know, they're, they're breaking 400 to 1,000 bodies a day. And as far as the crybacking thing goes, it's actually a good thing. If you were to take a fresh brisket off a body and then trim it up, season it, it would be horrible. Meat's got to rest. Meat's got to age. You know, we, there's dry aging and wet aging. Um, dry aging is the new big thing. Wet aging, however, is putting it in a cryback bag and letting it sit. Like if, for us, I love to see I love to see briskets cryback for at least four weeks because in that four weeks, the muscle enzymes and the fibres of the meat actually break down as as they release that fluid. So you actually create a better product by sitting it in that cryback bag.
0: Okay, so that that four week period, do you mean? four weeks before the brisket is sold or four weeks after the customer buys it? Should they sit in their fridge for four weeks?
2: No, no but we age all of our meat so we like to hope that our meat comes in and when the customer buys it, it's ready to go but I always specify with my supplies that I like to have a minimum of two or three weeks on my meat and I hold it for a week and then I sell it so it's at its best eating quality.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Good to know. Um, how long can can people hold them in their fridges when they get home, just in the, just on the topic of wet ageing?
2: Uh, beef is probably the one you're luckiest with. In the coldest part of your fridge, a crack-like bit of meat should last up to 90 days as long as that seal is not broken. So, you know, it's a case of red meat has the right sort of scientific makeup that it can actually last a long period of time without Making you sick, and the longer you leave it, the more the muscle breaks down, the more tender the meat gets. However, you're not as lucky with lamb. You're probably lucky to get two to three weeks out of if you're to cry back a lamb shoulder and leave it. Uh, pork is the same, and chicken is pretty minimal. It's only about sort of five to seven days cry back to, to be safe. But beef, the longer you leave it, the better it'll get.
0: Mm. Okay, awesome. The key point being for the listeners to remember there is that it does need to be cryovaced. Don't uh, don't just grab some steaks, yes, uh, wrapped on a tray and just throw them in the fridge for three months and think you're going to pull them out and eat them. So <laughs> the, the key exactly, point
2: is exactly right. I'm, I'm pretty sure you um, Yeah, I'm pretty sure the smell would be more offensive than trying to cook it. If it, it <laughs> lined
0: up. Yeah. yeah, for sure. All right. So, as a butcher, then, what is your favourite cut and why?
2: Oh, that's a. This is probably the toughest question of the day. Um, there's so many. Look, I'm. I love all meat. My favourite cut, like as far as I'll talk steak, I love a good grass-fed sirloin. Hands down, my favourite steak. A little bit of salt. Just beautiful flavour. Um, I think it's got – I think it's the best-flavoured cut of meat off the whole body. Um, I also love beef short ribs, you know, if we're talking low and slow, like I said earlier, they're my favourite. Uh, pulled pork, uh, like I said, this is a hard question. I, I love meat. I love all of it. It's, but, yeah, I'd say a, a good bit of sirlin would be my would be my go-to.
0: All righty. And do you, uh, do you slice them and, and grill it or do you cook the whole lot in a large chunk like uh, low and slow style?
2: Well, I I used to do, you know, uh, before I discovered reverse sear, I used to just, you know, barbecue quite a nice thick steak, but I've fallen in love with reverse searing, like on the kettle or the offset, so just, you know, cutting it a little bit thicker. Um, Also bone insulin, which is at the uh, the bottom of the T-bone end, uh, leaving the bone in, I'm just mad about it at the moment because I just think it's got so much more flavour and it keeps it you know more moist through that cooking, so yeah, I'd, I'd say reverse seared a reverse seared bone-in sirloin would be my go-to. I had it two nights ago, actually, It was amazing.
0: <laughs> nice, nice. You're still thinking about it now. It must have been good.
2: I am. I haven't had lunch either. I'm quite hungry.
0: Yeah, no, me neither. Me neither. It's uh, it's uh, past lunchtime now too. So I for know. those people out there who who might not have heard of the reverse sear, could you just have a just uh, quickly explain to us what that is?
2: Okay, so yeah, traditionally uh, the way we always used to do a steak was if it was thicker than an inch would be, you know, we'd seal it first and then we'd pop it in the oven for sort of 15, 20 minutes on a lower heat. What we're doing is just reversing that process. So instead if you're going to do it on your kettle, you get a nice charcoal pit going on one side of your kettle, on a head like salt your meat quite generously, do a rub if you're preferable, and on the opposite side to the charcoal, you rest your meat there. Which is an off on the offset heat, put your lid back on. I did a 700 gram piece and I think I cooked it for about, I did about 20, about 20 minutes it was offset. So on the other side of the charcoal, I then took the lid off, moved it over to direct charcoal heat and I did a four minute sear on each side, popped it on plate, a plate, bit of alpha, uh left for a couple of minutes and it was sensational. So it's, it's just doing that traditional way, we're just reversing it and it really does work. I think it creates more tenderness and I really do think you get a better flavor with that offset heat first breaking down that, that muscle or that the protein of the meat itself and then, yeah, straight onto the heat at the end just to give it that nice crust. It, it really does work and it's not as hard as what people think.
0: Is it, the, is it the salt that helps form the crust? You mentioned to make sure that you salted it well.
2: Yes, I'm a huge believer in, you know, I mean, before refrigeration existed, that's what they would do to keep meat preserved is salted. And, you know, your dry age rooms that we in cabinets now, they all got salt bricks in it. Salt is, is beef or meat's best friend, you know, like a good, generous coating of salt. I, I let mine come up to, you know, room temperature generally or just before, like leave it out for an hour prior to let that salt sort of soak in because that sort of creates a nice barrier. When you do start, when you do see your meat, you get that nice crust. It adds good flavour and it keeps all those juices in.
0: And is there a particular salt that you recommend? Um,
2: Look, we're we're pretty blessed to have so many good salts out on the market. To be honest, like we we do a smoked salt at work now. Murray River pink salt? We sell that as well. That's a fantastic salt. Um, we do the kosher salt as well, which uh, a lot of barbecue teams love. That's a really good salt. But yeah, Himalayan salt. Um, probably talk about salt as much as I could beef, really. But <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, I um, yeah, look, look for a good
2: a good salt. You know, source a good salt, and yeah, it just creates a better product.
0: Mm, I've I've fallen in love recently with um, sea salt flakes.
2: Yes, yeah. 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 The, the Maldon do a great one. Um, yeah, there's, the sea salt flakes are unbelievable. They do, I don't know what it is, but compared to normal texture of salt, you just seem to get a better flavor or better salty flavor through when you're cooking with, with the flakes.
0: Yeah, it tastes more, tastes more natural too than, say, standard table salt, which is so heavily processed. For me anyway, I'll take you know, sea salt flakes or pink Himalayan rock salt or um, you know, kosher salt over... Your standard iodized table salt yes. in I, I don't even think I've had any house for about 10 years now.
2: Yeah, yeah, I don't, I, I would be exactly the same. Like, I think this is a good, it's good to see, you know, if we're trending to the way we're caring about the salt we put on our meat, it's just such a good sign for what people, where the food industry is going, you know. Like, we're, we've just talked for a few minutes on the quality of salt we put on something. It, I, I love it. It's fantastic that people are caring about what they put in their mouths, you know.
0: Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more.
1: This segment is proudly sponsored by Coastline Barbecues and Heating. With stores in Oxenford, Southport and The Tweed, they are the Gold Coast's only Weber specialist.
0: Alrighty, Billy. Time for us to get into our listener questions right now. So we have two two ladies that uh, couldn't join us live today, so I'm going to stand in for them and read out their questions to you. We'll then go through the other three questions of the people that are here with us. And at the end of that, you can pick the best question, and that person will be the winner of our $25 yeah. gift voucher from Coastline Barbecues. Um, so we'll no. start with Annabelle's Pressure's question. on. Yeah, pressure's on. Yeah, it's, uh, get to see who's got the best question. Right. So starting with Annabelle, Annabelle writes, the meat at Billy's is only improved by the service you get every time. What training, motivation, communication skills do you use to keep your staff happy and turnover low? Which she thinks would help with the consistency and quality of the meat?
2: Okay, well, that's, that's a very good question. Um, I guess, as far as when it comes to service, that's probably the pinnacle of what Meat Affiliates is about. We've always, you know, put our pride and everything into making sure our customers get what they want and they leave happy. Um, I, I think the best way is like I treat my staff. The way I treat my customers, you know, they're almost like family to me, my staff. Now we, spend, we work a lot of hours. We spend a lot of time together. I look after them the best I can. And I think that reflects on how they look after customers when I'm not there. Um, even when I am, I think they treat, they see the value of, they don't have a job without the people coming through the door. So it is, you know, they put 110% into giving that customer, every customer that walks through the door, whatever they need. Um, as for uh, yeah, the quality control of the product—that's a really good question. As Meatabilis has grown, like we've had to open our second store now, that has always been a stress to me—is how you do control these things. And I think it comes back to the start yet again: training them the correct way. I mean, getting them to evaluate every single thing they cut and make sure it is a the standard—that Meatabilis is all about. Uh, we yeah we do spend a lot of time one-on-one training with staff. We also do staff meetings where we go through new products. Um, and, yeah, I, I like to get as much feedback from the guys, the butchers I have with me to, to help them do their job better. So, you know, good and bad feedback on what we're doing. So, yeah, it's all about control, but it can be done. It's just I think treating your staff with respect is probably – the the pinnacle of it, you know, and you'll get back what you put in, you know.
0: Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. I I completely agree with with what Annabelle's saying about the great quality of service from from Meet at Billy's. I I was uh, heading down to the first Burley competition and I had sourced someone locally and they fell through about 48 hours before I was supposed to go to the competition. And I don't know if if you remember, but I actually rang you in a panic. Yes. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I, sent
2: the meat down with, I sent the meat down with someone. I, I don't know. I can't remember who I sent it with, but you did bring it up, and we delivered it to you down there.
0: That's right. Yeah, well, you, Is that right? You, you you talked me through it over the phone, and uh, and then you actually packaged it all up in a in a styrofoam box on on ice and sent it down with another team who was who was picking up their order from you, and they dropped it off to me there on the day. I was just I was blown away by that. I you know my it's a year and a half later. And whenever someone says meat at Billy's, that's the first first memory that uh, that, that, that pops into my mind. So, it's, Oh, um, thank you.
2: I'm really, really glad to hear that. For the love of the barbecue, mate. That's what we're here yeah. for.
0: Awesome, awesome. All right, Kerry's turn. Kerry, uh, Kerry writes, traditionally the barbecue, the butcher shop, and the meat cooking has been the man's domain, but times are changing and women are sharing the stage or taking over the barbecue and smoking scene. Question, how has this changed your retail mindset and what meat cuts have you seen a spike in?
2: Yes, um, another very good question. Um, it she, she is very correct there as far as, you know, seeing the females show some interest, especially in the low and slow. Um, I don't know if the listeners know, but we just did our first all-female low and slow barbecue class a couple of Sundays ago, which came about from, you know, interest in our everyday customers female customers coming through as well as you know sponsoring the shank sisters one of the teams that I look after seeing what they've done and seeing them walk into this you know well I guess you would say it's a bloke's world predominantly these girls have got in and sort of shown you know they they're showing these guys that it can be done and they're doing it very very well so I sort of collaborated with them we pitched the idea and yeah we went through with our first Female, low and slow class, and the response was unbelievable. And it was so good to see, you know, women showing interest in how to cook a brisket and how to, you know, you know, light a, light a charcoal kettle, and you know, what can they do on that? Like, I think I actually think we got more attentiveness out of the ladies than we do out of the, the normal classes. Really. <laughs> so I'm, I'm more focused on learning than, than drinking beer and eating barbecue, like the boys. Are. <laughs> but all oh, in all, oh, it was a really good response. As far as the, the female side of my business, um, look, 65% of my clientele is female still. I mean, traditionally, the, the ladies have always come in and done the shop, and we get a lot of ladies who do come in and shop for their husbands, for the barbecue, but it's so good to see, you know, we're starting to get the ladies coming in and buying a brisket and a Boston butt and going home and doing it themselves. Like, thats it's awesome. It's taking it to the next level, which I love.
0: Yeah something i've always loved about barbecue is um the the way that barbecue can bring people together and something yes. something that that i've never sort of uh, understood something i've always struggled with is how when it comes to barbecue there was just this like division and when i say barbecue i mean all forms of barbecue low and slow grilling whatever it is it was always growing up it was always you know my mum would stay inside and she'd make the make the salads prep the table you know, get the drinks ready, do all this sort of stuff, and yeah. and uh, however many men were at the barbecue would stand outside around the barbecue and burn some sausages and come inside, and so I, I think it's awesome to see this uh, this um, increase in interest uh, with with ladies in low and slow barbecue because you're going to see that line is going to disappear and i think people are going to find that um their relationships are going to improve they're going to be getting along better the fan the whole family is going to be involved in the whole process and uh yes. i just think that that's something that we don't often think about but is a it's going to be a huge advantage and a huge uh benefit to you know families out there
2: yeah definitely i think I think from the male perspective, if the ladies want to take over the barbecue, as long as the man still has a corner he can drink beer in, he'll be more than happy, more than happy.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. All righty. Um, let's hand it over to Peter. You still on the, uh, still on the air there, mate? Yeah, still here, mate. All righty. The microphone is over to you, my friend. Ask Billy oh. what you will. So I, I sort of actually have two questions for him. Um, first, being obviously he's been pretty successful in business over the last couple of years since he started. What's been his biggest mistake or misstep so far, and what advice would he give to someone that's starting out in a business?
2: Yep. Um, yeah. How are you, Peter? That's a good question, mate. Um, I, yeah. It's. A, I, I think when it comes to business, I don't know if anyone out there in business knows. It's you know it's it's hard work, especially the first few years. It, but I think the biggest mistake I made when I started Meet at Phillies was I tried to be all of Meet at which, as you know, I think about six months of working seven days a week, 14 to you know 17 hours a day, I, it burnt me out. I, probably the biggest mistake I made was trying to have that control and not realizing that you need people behind you. You need support, you know, whether it's from family, friends, as well as staff is a, is a pinnacle. Like, yeah, trying to put it all on your shoulders, you know, it's going to it be a short-lived career. That would be the biggest mistake I think I made in business.
1: Okay, thanks. Um, and, and the other one is I constantly get into
0: arguments with people about freezing meat, good quality steaks, um, a lot of your yeah. stuff.
3: What are your thoughts yeah. on
0: And what damage is done to the meat when you freeze it, texture and flavour-wise? Nice question. (laughs) Look, very good question. I think if you're
2: going to – there's certain elements of meat that can be frozen. So things like chicken breast and even pork, which is not something you're eating, like it it doesn't have a high – Flavor component to it. Um, I, I think that's fine to freeze things like steak, and this is what we we're saying about before. If you're going to buy a, a good steak, I wouldn't freeze it because when you defrost it, you're losing all that that fluid, that moisture, those juices that are left on the plate in the fridge. You know, like that's that's the that's the bit you want. You don't want to be losing that. That should be in your mouth when you're chewing on it. So I think what the best thing you can do is if you go to the butcher. And get them if you're going to buy a, like a whole steak, get them to cryback it for you individually. As I said earlier, like you're going to you're going to get mumps out of your steak in the fridge if they're crybacked, and they're only going to get better as they break down. So yeah, take the time, go to your butcher, and yeah, get your steaks cry back because they're too expensive. You want to appreciate them, and I just think yeah, buy your steak fresh that, and keep it fresh. That that would be my advice to you, Peter.
0: Yeah, no worries. Thanks, Billy. <laughs> no worries. All righty, Daryl. What would you like to ask Billy?
3: Billy, first of all, I'd like to thank you for being a part of this, and thank you, thank our host for giving us the opportunity to uh, to have you on here directly. Oh, um, thank
2: you, mate. It's an honour, mate. Thank you very much.
3: No, Happy to be look, here. I've got a bloody note paper and I'm writing stuff down. The amount of stuff that that's there already, I, I'm looking forward to listening to the cast, the podcast back myself. Great. <laughs> The questions uh, that I had, uh, and you, you covered a little with the re- when you talk about reverse searing, but one of the big issues, I think, is being able to seal the meat so you don't lose yes. that that moisture. And um, now you, you did touch on reverse searing and uh, with the, the Weber having it off-site and then putting it back onto the, the heat to seal it later on. Could you just expand a bit? On that, and um, you know, whether you see obviously now having listened to what you've said so far, you're not in favor of sealing at first, uh, more a reverse seal. Is, is that the go with the, your longer, slower cooking? or?
2: Look, I think I've always been a fan of. Don't, I'm not against sealing meat. Like I think if you're just going to do, like when I when I do the reverse here, I'm doing it on a, a large quantity cut steak. So I'm talking 700 grams up to a kilo. right? And that's okay. just doing the, going back the traditional sealing way, so browning first for a few minutes and then finishing in the oven. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. The, the pinnacle of getting that crust and keeping that – moisture in is actually that salt component that you're putting on the outside of your meat oh. because what that what that does is it, it does dry out the top of your meat but as it dries it out it creates almost like a, a webbing to, to trap the rest of the moisture in your meat like this is what dry age does it you know that with that salt component they're reducing the moisture on the outside of something and creating a bark or a crust to keep everything inside. Really juicy. So you, it's a small sac. You're losing a little bit of moisture on the outside, but it should enhance the flavour and the juiciness of your meat on the inside. Right. right
3: even if
2: we go away from into your slow cooking, I think that was sort of was that more so. We looked yeah, at that's as well? all
3: my concern. Yeah. Say so ribs and such, yeah, we'll You know, a long slow cook.
2: Yes. So on the on the as in like low and slow ribs in the barbecue, or just a casserole in the oven.
3: No,
2: no, well, I'm, I'm thinking more the low and slow ribs, your kettle or, or offset or whatever. Yep. Well, with that, I, like I said, putting a good rub, um, having a good fat coverage is, is going to be a pinnacle for not drying out as well. So right. you know, if you're using, let's talk, beef ribs, like we spoke of earlier, those the cake box ribs, they're quite right. well marbled. Having that is going to be a pinnacle to keeping your ribs juicy because you want that, like that, Intramuscular fat or that marble fat, yeah, to break down as you're cooking, and that soaks through into your, in, through your ribs and creates you know the best eating quality you'll get. So it's a simple case of get you know, finding a good product to start with is probably the best thing, you know, finding find the best and yes. you'll find that'll reflect on, on your barbecue and every day.
3: That's right. And, and what you were saying earlier is uh, establish uh, a relationship with the butcher. All the people have gone into the butcher and say, what are you having for dinner? And, uh, get some guidance there, unless you've got something specific in mind. And having someone like yourself who's happy to have a yarn and not just, you know, you pick what you want out of the window, like some, some exchange. And, and that's been, uh, that's been a tricky thing. When you are doing your low and slow in the Weber, and you mentioned the old kettle Weber, which is a classic. We all love to, to play with that. Are you a fan of, um, loading it up and leaving it to sort of seal it and then let it slow down, or are you tinkering, topping up the the, the fuel content?
2: Um, look, depending on what I do, I, I used to do the expression "low and slow." I, I probably am more biased towards hotter and faster. It's still uh, it's, it's yeah. ironic as it sounds. It still sounds. It still is low and slow, but yeah, yeah. I, you know, I like to. Cook. I'm cooking at 300 Fahrenheit for everything now. You know, right instead right. of 200 250, I just yep. find my product barks better. And then when I wrap, when I wrap, I'll usually yep. let, let the temperature come back to sort of 200 250. But I think that that hot temp for the first, you know, sort of three four hours is is pinnacle. Right. For me. right.
3: Yeah, well, that's yeah. That's that's the way I was thinking. But it's it's good to hear it from an expert, especially when actually the image that was put up with you. Uh, Standing in front of the offsets, making there, and the meat that's in there just looks magnificent.
0: That was a great yeah. photo, wasn't it? That was a really good photo. All righty, Matthew, how you had, uh, how you going there, mate? You want to uh, jump in here and ask your question to Billy?
2: Yeah, sure. Hi, Billy, how you doing?
0: Good man. How are you, mate?
2: Yeah, good man. Uh, again, thanks for uh, thanks for giving us the opportunity to have a chat, and thanks, Ben, thanks for uh, setting this up for us. Sure. You're welcome. Majority. Um, I've got a, I've got like a. A bit of a question that i'd like to ask it's a bit of a two-pronged question in the yeah. first place how do you see uh the rise of supermarkets impacting on the local
1: community butchers and what thoughts do you have on uh, on getting people back into those local butchers?
2: that's a yeah that's a great question mate i guess look the supermarkets has been something of a concern for you know over a decade uh to butchers and you know to fruit shops to bakeries you know they've, the, the rise of the supermarket has really killed independent business Australia-wide. Um, I don't think there's any other country in the world that has where you've got two commercial chains that control pretty much 80% of the retail market. It's 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 corrupt. I could go on for hours about it. Too, it's a thorn in my side, and I'm quite passionate about it. Um, I think <clears throat> what we've seen is 10 years ago, we saw butchers shutting up. Um, we've seen we could actually probably have a lot to thank to the supermarkets now, with how they've grown so big, they've lost that quality, uh, they've lost that service. They've they're almost sending people back to us because you know the has helped us a lot too. As far as people now are aware of how they treat their farmers and how they treat their small producers, they buy off and they're screwing them down on contract price and. That, you know, some of these farmers are losing every day and they don't have a choice. And, you know, the middleman, Coles and Woolies example are the ones making, you know, millions out of it. So that has a big part to do with it. Um, and as far as what me to, me to Billy's at Ashgrove, we've got Aldi Coles and Woolies all around us. And for me, I'm, like I said, I'm grateful for them because they bring people there to do their shopping, but people are taking the effort to walk 400 meters around the corner to come to Billy's to buy their meat because, you know, we back it up with the service. You know, you can walk book into a supermarket, how can you guarantee every steak is labeled MSA? How can you guarantee they're all MSA? There's no way you can. They, 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 they've they bought that label pretty much, the, the label we used to be proud of, and they've bastardized it. And you know for a fact, as well as probably most of the listeners, they have no control over what they do. So that stuff tracks are showing in their, their monopoly now, and that's also bought independent which is specifically back. I think I was talking to one of my suppliers last week. For the first time in twenty years, he's seeing more butcher he's created he's seeing more butcher shop accounts created in his business than every other year he's seen he's been losing them. Which is a sign of strength the strength and times ahead for independent butchering. So yeah, I hope that answers your question. But they're, yeah, they're a Catch twenty two, they they did ruin us at the beginning, but if anything they're making up. they're putting us from strength to strength now. So you're
0: back. That's awesome. That's I I find hilarious. that the big difference for me is, um, is the, the quality of the service. You know, you you go into a to an independent butcher shop, you actually get to meet a butcher and talk to a butcher and get advice from the butcher. And I honestly cannot remember the last time I went into a supermarket and actually saw a butcher in there.
2: No, oh, well, there's not many left in there. I think they've cut kind of, They do a lot of it off, off site now and it's all pre packaged and put through. But, you know, that's, I'd like to put a big thank you out to you guys, our customers too, you know, because, you know, when I started butchering, it was something you tell people you're a butcher, they sort of screwed their face up. You know, now we, people walk into our shop and want to shake our hand, you know, like it, your guys' interest in what we do creates more pride for us. And yeah, it makes us yeah, proud of what we do. and, it's just fantastic that there is so much interest in our industry and what we do. We, we love it. So thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Billy, mate. Thank you. All righty, Billy. So those, those were our, uh, our five uh, listener questions. So I just need you to let me know which one you think should win our $25 gift voucher.
2: Mate, oh, I think I'm going to go with Matthew on that one. I think the supermarket was yeah just right on the money yeah it's one I'm quite passionate about too so in my, as far as I'm concerned he's, he's the winner
0: alrighty congratulations Matthew we'll get that uh, that gift voucher out to you shortly well done thank
2: you
0: righty, Billy for our last question in our podcast interview today uh, what would be your top three pieces of advice for new barbecue competition teams
2: um I sound like I'm repeating myself now, but I'd say relationship with a good butcher would be the first thing. Sourcing good meat, that's the foundation of everything. Um, I guess second bit of advice would be drink beer. It uh, seems to be what happens. uh, One thing I love about these barbecue competition scenes is like it is a competition, but I've never seen such a friendly competition in anything, any sport or any game that I've ever been involved with before. Like Everybody knows everybody. They're all great blokes. They love to have a drink, and they are incredibly helpful, like I said. So, yeah, get yourself, put yourself out there, um, be social, and, yeah, I can tell you, I can rattle off a heap of teams who I've had many beers with, and they're all good blokes, and they love, if you're a new person and you're getting into it, these guys are full of great advice, and yeah, they'll they'll steer you in the right direction.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I remember my uh, the the very first competition I ever went to, I was a ringing at at, at the last minute, and I had no idea about uh, uh, presentation boxes. And I yeah. I remember going there and seeing the teams all sitting there chopping up parsley and putting it into boxes, and going. Well, I, I eventually built up the courage to go over and ask, and I said, "What are you all doing?" And they said, "Oh." Yeah. We're, we've got to prepare our, our presentation boxes. And they sat down for like 20 minutes and explained it all to me, showed me all how to do it, and then gave me a bunch of their extra stuff so I could go and pack my boxes, which would have otherwise been empty. So I'd, I'd, yeah. I can't think of, you know, like you, you wouldn't see a professional tennis player you know, handing their racket over to somebody else to go and play with, you know. So. No, you're uh, exactly
2: right. That's what I love about it. It is such a good, friendly scene, and they're all they're all top top boys, top girls that are all involved in it. It's it's awesome.
0: Excellent, excellent. All right, I'm going to hand the mic over to you, Billy, for a minute or two to give some shout outs and tell people where they can contact you. Okay.
2: Um, Yeah, big thank you to everyone listening today. Um, Yeah, Meet at Billy's, we have two stores. Uh, One is uh, located in Ashgrove on uh, 241 Waterworks Road, Uh, phone number 33662912. Uh, We have another store not far away in Paddington, or Rosalie which is what it's called. Um, That's on Baruna Road, 155, just down from the cinemas. Uh, The phone number there is 33673888. I should know that one by now. Yep, I'll get in the nod. I got it right. Um, yeah, also we're, we're 100% online. We deliver to a lot of suburbs around the inner Brisbane area, so all the low and slow carts right through to your, your everyday barbecuing and kitchen cooking, anything, you name it, we have put it on our website and we do deliver uh, anything over $100 is free delivery and we deliver Monday to Friday. You can put, you've put you got till midnight the night before to put your order in uh, and it will be delivered the next day. Depending on what time suits you, we, that is also an option. Don't forget, when you do go in, there is a low and slow category. Sorry, I'm getting coached here. I always forget <laughs> when it comes to a plug. But yeah, big thank you to Ben, for, for the opportunity today. I really appreciate it. And thank you to all my customers for listening too. I really appreciate your support. Couldn't do it without you.
0: I just want to throw a big thank you back to you too, Billy, for 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 giving up your time today. I realize that, that you're a busy, busy man. And uh, to take time out of your day to, to come on this show and talk to me about it and share your knowledge with the listeners out there, much appreciated and so much gratitude heading your way. Oh, thank you very much. What a lot of love today. What a lot of love. Yeah, so much, so much. All righty. Thanks very much.
1: No worries. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips, and Ben's own confessions.